0: With Canada Post solutions for small business, we'll reward your repeat business with automatic savings. Visit canadapost.ca forward slash small business to see how you can start saving up to 34% on shipping in Canada. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have Julian Valeri, Senior Risk Specialist at Sovereign Insurance, on the show today. Julian is an insurance professional with experience in underwriting, claims, loss control and risk management. For over 30 years, he's worked his way through various positions within the insurance industry. Julian's job involves working with businesses to identify possible risks that could negatively impact the company's operations and cash flow while recommending plans and strategies to minimize those risks. When he's not working to protect businesses across Canada, Julian is the president of the Ontario Risk and Insurance Management Society as well as the lead instructor for the Certificate in Risk Management Program at the University of Toronto of Continuing Studies. He's also currently a board member for the Society of Fire Protection and He is also currently a board member for the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, Southern Ontario Chapter. On today's show, Julian and I are discussing how to manage and protect your business from risk. Welcome to the show, Julian. Thanks very much, Matt. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. So before we get uh, too deep into the conversation today, I want uh, you to share with our audience what do you think the most important thing for entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation is?
1: Well, I guess, uh, Matt, as a small business owner, entrepreneurs face risks that other business segments don't necessarily have to consider. So I've got some key uh, risks that I'll talk about that are specific to small business, and then I'll outline some solutions that they can consider to mitigate those risks.
0: That's awesome. So I think um, I think as uh, <laughs> as typically most people like to do. Uh, why don't we start with the bad news? And um, if possible uh, does anything come to mind uh, for an example of a company that maybe you you worked with or had seen happen uh, where risk was involved that may have been avoidable but uh, just wasn't addressed properly from the outset and ended up being catastrophic
1: yeah uh, good question Matt there's actually two and, and they both happened uh, over a span of two years and while I was with uh, a particular company uh, acting as their risk manager uh, maybe I should explain what a risk manager is before I go any further uh, Risk managers work with companies to assess and identify the potential risks that may hinder that company's reputation, safety, security, and really just financial prosperity of the organization. Uh, Risk managers place necessary insurance coverage and handle any insurance claims. So as a risk manager, there are two dates that are kind of Burned in my brain permanently. <laughs> uh, those being August fourteenth, two thousand and three, and August nineteenth, two thousand and five. So, uh, goodness, why right. are those dates burned in my brain? And of course, with those things happening in August, Matt, I was on vacation for both of those. And uh, being the risk manager, I had to be called back to work on both. So they they became memorable because of that, if nothing else. But had to cut my vacations short in both cases. So I was the risk manager for the largest privately held printing, publishing, media, and communications company in Canada. And their head office is in Vaughan, Ontario. So the first one that I mentioned, August 03, that was the big, I don't know if you recall that date, but it was the big Northeast blackout of 2003. It was a widespread power outage.
0: I think I actually do.
1: Yeah. And that was spread throughout parts of the Northeastern and Midwestern U.S. and in the province of Ontario for a couple of weeks. I think there were power, and of course it was blazing hot out at the time too. There were power issues from August the 14th to August 28th, 2003. Um, So on that particular first day of that big big power outage, some power was restored, but most people didn't get their power back until two days later. And in other areas, it took almost a week or two for power to be restored. At the time, it was the world's second most widespread blackout in history. And here I am working for a, a printing company that is obviously very reliant on power. And it's interesting because we didn't know what caused the blackout. We found out later it was a bug in the, in the alarm system at the control room of a company called First Energy in Akron, Ohio. And they had some uh, power lines, overloaded transmission lines, I guess, that that drooped into leaves and foliage, and the whole thing went, you know, kaput. So what should have been a manageable local blackout Cascaded into the collapse of the entire Northeast region's power. So, the printing company I was working for at the time was in the midst of its busy peak season in August, preparing for the busy uh, Christmas season, printing Christmas catalogs and flyers. So you can imagine, oh, no. it was the worst possible time. And that's the thing I find about these things, Matt, is they always happen at the worst possible time. Yeah. It seems. And <laughs> well, if they're I'm, nothing, they're consistent. Yes, exactly. And most commercial insurance policies exclude damage or impacts from power failures to boot. So here we were, and I was new at the place at the time and you know uh we didn't have insurance coverage because it's excluded and the owners of that company took a big hit and the loss of production and the downtime straight on their bottom lines and you can imagine what it was like for me as a relatively new employee going to the senior management and the owners of the company to say hey you know this power outage it's too bad and by the way it's not covered by insurance and you're on the hook for all the costs so if there was ever a time to say you know don't shoot the messenger that was it (laughs) Uh, the other the other uh episode would have, or event, I guess i call it, would have occurred back in August of 2005. And Matt, I don't know if you remember the epic flood of August 19th,
0: 2005? Uh, so, was that in around the GTA?
1: Exactly. That was a major storm that struck Toronto and, and actually Southern Ontario on August the 19th, 05. It was described as a one in a century type Uh, Storm. There were three tornadoes reported in conjunction with the storm. Extensive rain actually caused the most damage in Toronto. Uh, Black Creek was in a total state of flood and washed out a culvert on Finch Avenue. And so here I am up in Vaughan. And, uh, well, I wasn't actually in Vaughan. I was on vacation, but I was called back to Vaughan. 130 millimeters of rain are falling in Toronto, causing extensive flooding. And I remember walking into the printing plant I was working in, and it actually had two windows. One window looked out into the parking lot, and I could see that, water was rising up to the handles of car doors if you can imagine my car included just to give you an indication of how much rain there was and the other thing I saw was through a window I had that faced out into the printing plant and I could see this is no word of a lie I could see geysers of water probably about four to six feet in height spurting out of floor drains that were located on the printing press floor and the poor staff out there were trying to put uh, skids of scrap printed matter over these floor drains to try to stem the tide of water, so to speak, that was coming in. And we had water coming into this plant through the ceiling, through windows, because there was so much water coming down from the sky that the roof drains couldn't handle it. And it was just overflowing and going everywhere. So you could just imagine in a printing plant with high tech printing presses and paper, the last thing you want is this inundation of water.
0: Well, exactly.
1: So those were the two biggies uh, in my in my career, and as I say, they happened within the short uh, time frame of one another. And I was the risk manager, and I had to deal with the aftermath of them. So I can get into more details on what we had to do as a result.
0: Yeah, honestly, and like you know, as as with everything, you know, twenty twenty hindsight. So on on the kind of like you know, looking back on those things now, what do you think were the things that that should have been in place from the start uh, that weren't?
1: So. Um- that's a great question. For the blackout, there was no coverage, but there were things that the printing company could have done that they didn't do, and so and you can imagine in a blackout uh, situation, um, you've got you know uh, damage to your um, electrical equipment, you've got uh, production and, and equipment shutting down, you've lo- you're losing business income. The upside of that loss for that printing company was that we started to see that uh, subsequent to that that they started spending more money. On disaster recovery planning and paying attention to methods used to bolster their preparedness, like backing up uh, records and files off site and getting into arrangements for what are known as hot sites and cold sites so that they could operate from those other sites or at least get data from them. They also started looking at technologies that they could use to mirror their critical systems and stream data to those off site uh, backup uh, centers. Um, you know, uh, though many firms lack adequate power backup. The shortcomings in preparation are usually not the fault of you know any IT staff. What I've found in my experience, Matt, is the IT staff are always trying to convince the executives to spend the money on this sort of thing. But you know, if I think if you ask any mm. IT person, they'll probably have already approached a business owner or senior management and told them about the benefits of doing the right thing in terms of putting into place adequate IT disaster recovery plans in place. But inevitably, what happens is, is an organization actually ha- actually has to have an occurrence like this to realize the full value and to make that commitment in terms of you know fiscal ins- expenditures on those things. So a real stumbling block is getting a CFO uh, to approve those sorts of expenditures. But that, you know, you can really look at that as sort of an insurance policy that we're talking about here. And, you know, people begrudge spending money on insurance because they'd probably never have to use it. But if they do, they'll be glad they had it. So in this particular case, uh, this company has since spent uh, a lot of money upgrading their computer systems and training their IT staff and so on. So uh, that was, you know, a a great fallout, if you will, from that particular uh, power outage. For the flood, you Mm -hmm. know, the company had the proper insurance in place. Uh, I guess partly because I put it in place. But the but the process of settling the claim yeah, was well. <laughs> quite onerous, tedious, and time-consuming. I don't know if, if you've ever had an insurance claim or if any of our listeners have, Matt. But, um, uh, the, you know, it's a it's really, really uh, onerous and exhausting process to put in an insurance claim. So you've, you've got to have your, uh, your ducks in a row in terms of, uh, you know, documenting what you've lost and working with the insurer to, uh, you know, report your loss to the, and and right through to the resolution of your claim so you know you, you can prepare for the process by gathering all the relevant documents and receipts and photos and everything you know in fact at the time that that flood was happening I knew I knew that we were in for a big one, so to speak. So I was the first thing I did was grab my camera, and I was out there taking photos of the flooding par- parking lot, the flooded plant, yep. and the leaky roof, and so on. Um, you know, when I got to the office that day, because I knew that that would be valuable because it was very much an anomaly in terms of the the amount of rain and water. So you know, the insurance claim process, mm-hmm. as I say, I had to guide the poor staff had essentially, for all intents and purposes, suddenly had two jobs. They had the regular day-to-day jobs. Then they also had the job of starting to document and back up or justify how much the company was out of pocket to the insurers. And that involves elaborate spreadsheets and data gathering. So as the risk manager, I was leaned upon heavily and I in turn leaned heavily on my insurance broker. Uh, in terms of getting all the our, our paperwork in place and so on. And then, you know, once you get all that in, in place, you've got to have your uh, an insurance company adjuster, an independent adjuster investigate, and you've got to work with them. And, uh, you know, they'll go through your policy to determine what is and isn't covered and inform you of any deductibles and so on. And then, you know, you've got to mm. continue to evaluate the damage and then hiring appraisers, engineers, or contractors to... Look at the extent of the damage. For example, in the flood situation, to the printing presses or to the paper rolls, you know that were uh, you know wet. You know you can't do much with wet paper, so it becomes salvage, and you've got to try and sell it off with the help of those folks that I talked about. So a good deal of time and research and effort, and then finally, after all that, you know that takes months and months and months and a lot of long days for everybody involved, staff-wise. Then you finally get your payment after repairs have been completed and the lost or damaged items have been replaced, and and then uh, you know. You're, you, you you sort of see something in terms of a reward for all that time and effort and for the you know the complexity and the severity yeah. of the situation you've been in. But just to give you a sense, in the case of that flood, it took over a year and a half to finally get a, a multi-million dollar check cut to the printing company. So, you know, the major component of that multi-million dollar claim wasn't for damaged paper or machinery. Actually, it was for Business interruption, in other words, lost sales and lost market share. So, so I, I caution entrepreneurs right. and small business owners that every claim is different, and although, although the claim process can vary slightly according to the situation you're in, uh, you can lean heavily on your adjuster, your insurance broker, who can take the time and attention, you know, to resolve your particular case. Because pr- property insurance claims require significant mm. time and effort uh, from all your staff and from well from you as the small business owner as well. So one thing I would say, yeah, one one thing too we learned is that there's a Mm -hmm. thing called professional fees. Professional fees endorsement will reimburse you as the business owner for reasonable fees that you pay to people like accountants, architects, auditors, engineers, even for uh, your own forensic accountant to act for you and build your case, so to speak, for presentation to the insurers. So a handy real takeaway for small business entrepreneurs is, Make sure you've got a professional fees endorsement. Uh, check with your insurance broker to make sure you have that. But if you have that, it can save you a lot of time, money, and aggravation.
0: Mm. And I, I think, Julian, one thing I, I really want to touch on, and one thing that I really think will kind of hit home with the audience too from uh, from that past uh, answer there was um, that notion of people not wanting to spend, uh, or people not wanting to make an investment in you know, disaster prevention until one happens to them in their business. So as, you know, a risk management professional, as somebody who's been working in this industry for uh, however long you have at this point, what do you think the most valuable Areas are for entrepreneurs to invest in insurance coverages from the start of their business. So what are those catastrophes that you like if you had to narrow it down to three or five or however many of the minimum might be, what do you think are the absolutely essential pieces of coverage entrepreneurs need to have for their businesses? Well,
1: that's a great question because I'm in the insurance industry and um, you know there are, are various types of insurance that definitely are are critical. For every business, quite frankly, that would you know be put in place. But yes, certainly acquiring the right types of an insurance. Uh, you know, being an insurance guy, I'm going to say that, but it's a central part of risk management. So uh, you know, some of them are mandatory. You can't. Go on your carry on your business without them. Like auto insurance, right? Protects you from, from financial loss in the event of accidents or thefts of your vehicles. But uh, general liability insurance, and of course, we just gave two examples of property related type uh, situations. That one was covered by the flood. One was not covered with the power outage. But there's other things that can befall a small business, like uh, you know slips and falls of your customers on your premises. That so general liability insurance covers losses related to you know bodily am- damage or or property injury or sorry bodily injury or property damage that you have to pay out to a third party and for you know maybe medical expenses or the cost of hiring legal counsel to, fe- to defend your company so that's a practical one another one is product liability insurance uh, not a lot of people know that if your company manufactures distributes or sells products at retail then you should have this insurance coverage because it covers re- expenses related related legal liability for injury or damage caused by your product if it's allegedly defective uh, another one is uh, that's important for small business professionals is professional liability insurance. So that's important for businesses that might give professional Mm -hmm. advice. Uh, that would protect against things like malpractice or errors and omissions or negligence. In fact, it's sometimes referred to as errors and omissions insurance. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that's really apropos these days is cyber insurance, right? Protecting your business imagine so. yeah, from internet-based risks and more generally from risks relating to you know information technology, infrastructure activities, hacking, viruses, malware are all out there and just one bad cyber event can dramatically affect your small business in an adverse way.
0: So Julian, building off that last point, what would you say the that- the main risks that small businesses in Canada face each day are?
1: Well, I guess Matt, this boils down to about, uh, I'd say about a half dozen areas. Um, there's some general risk categories that I could outline. Um, something like strategic risk, uh, these are decisions concerning your business objectives and decisions you make that influence, you know, where your business is going. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example. The printing company uh, quite quickly realized that these days you can do more from a, a desktop computer than you than you uh, could from a multi-million dollar printing press. So they had to look at other ways of generating income. So they got into things like uh, uh, signage and web design and, and so on. So if you if if you as a small business owner think that you maybe face some strategic risk then you've got to take some steps to uh, to alter the direction of your business another one is compliance risk Uh, That's the need to comply with laws, regulations, standards, codes of practice. Uh, Obviously, if you're informed and on top of what those are and and how they are changing, then you can take steps to to modify or at least address some of those regulatory uh, concerns that uh, your business might be faced with. Another one is financial risk. Obviously, financial transactions and systems and the structure of your small business are also important. Uh, Operational risk. You know your operational and your administrative procedures uh, on a day-to-day basis, and environmental risk and external events that the business has little control over, uh, such as like the unfavorable weather or the uh, or the or the power interruptions or economic conditions in general. Uh, we've seen that obviously since 2008 and how that's impacted. Uh, even even the uh, the recent uh, uh, coronavirus. Uh, situation obviously is something that's an environmental risk that you know many businesses have had to uh, uh, try to address on an ongoing basis to make themselves more robust from that from that perspective. Um, so those would be that, I guess the top, uh, five or six reputational risk would be another one, Matt, you know, the character or goodwill of your small business, uh, you obviously as a small business owner need to be mindful, uh, and want to keep that, uh, on the, on the positive side of the ledger, so to speak, and, and ensure that, uh, there are not no issues, perhaps latent ones or whatever that are, are out there that might affect your, your business's, uh, character or goodwill. So as a small business owner, you can ask yourself a whole bunch of what-if questions to try to address those risk categories. Um, Like the printing company did, you know, what if you lost power? What would you do? Uh, What if your premises suddenly one day were damaged or not accessible? What would you do? What if your one and only supplier went out of business? Uh, Or you suddenly couldn't fill an order for a key customer you're working on a large order for? Uh, What if there was a natural disaster? like that flood? What if one of your key staff members resigned or was injured at work or, or won the lottery? Uh, what if your computer system was hacked? Uh, what if your business documents were destroyed? You know, Where are they backed mm. up? Who can access them? All questions that as a small business entrepreneur, you should have had some time, taken some time to turn your mind to work.
0: Mm. And I, I really like that list of, of what if questions. And if we can just revisit it for one second, um, mm and if if you want to take some time to consider go ahead but i i think really that's uh, that's a great tangible takeaway for the audience so um what do you think uh, those probably some of the most important what if questions uh, you know entrepreneurs who are just starting to launch their business or who are just you know experiencing um, a period of growth or just starting to you know kind of get their feet wet and and feel like you know they're they're on a level uh, a level playing field now with their business what do you think the most important what if questions to ask as an entrepreneur are
1: uh, you know it's really about um a process where as an entrepreneur you go through to identify assess and treat risks that could potentially affect your business operations um you know i said off the top as a small business owner you face risks that other business segments don't have um small businesses don't have the extensive resources or knowledge that you know multi-million dollar organizations have so because of this uh you know maybe a small business is even more vulnerable and so needs to employ more careful mitigation strategies. Uh, in an ideal scenario, a small business owner is educating his or her staff on the practical aspects of risk management too. I mean, the business owner can't be everywhere all at once, so they need the eyes and the ears of their staff in the field to relay information back to them, you know, if not acted upon, can cause problems in their business. So it's just about uh, really just putting a process in place and having a level of understanding, really instilling a culture and, and imparting that to your, to your staff
0: mm right and kind of kind of building off this and you know in uh, in the event because uh, I mean it's 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 insurance it's something that you know people for, for a lot of the times can often be a one of the questions that's maybe not one of the last ones on the roster, but might be one of the questions that's the last one they, they want to address uh, from some cases. So what can happen if companies try to take shortcuts around this kind of thing or if companies try to... Um, really just basically not give it the time and effort that it's due
1: well there's a lot of downsides Uh, by shortcuts though i I take that to mean not taking sound risk management steps right that can produce benefits Mm -hmm. so when companies take shortcuts they can be subject to higher insurance premiums or even just generally having trouble finding insurance and a lot of in a lot of cases, insurance is mandatory. So if you, you can't find it, uh, but it's mandatory, you're you're in a bit of a predicament. Uh, increased chance that your business might be the target of legal action uh, going forward. Um, you know, increased business downtime. You could have increased losses of cash or stock. Uh, uh, pilferage, what have you? Those are all things that you know a small business owner needs to address. Uh, in terms of you know when they do take short, if they do take shortcuts,
0: these can be some of the downsides. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And I think um, so, Julian. As, as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation here, and we're we're getting uh, we're getting near the end. And after uh, everything we've spoken about, after uh, all the experience you feel that you're able to bring to the table here, what do you think? based on what we just uh, just spoke about, is the most tangible takeaway for entrepreneurs after uh, listening to this conversation. What do you think they could walk away with and implement in their business today?
1: So I've got some actual uh, real practical down-to-earth examples uh, that I can give uh, Matt around what they can use to mitigate the real world risks that they face. The first one is obtaining certificates of insurance from uh, third-party vendors. So a certificate of insurance is nothing more than a piece of paper that outlines a particular business's insurance coverage. And What that is is uh, an assurance to the small business owner that if something happens, let's say with a uh, building cleaning company that that they might call in or a snow removal contractor, uh, they can get a piece of paper that provides their small business with what's called additional insured status. And that protects their small business if an incident results in a claim through the actions of that vendor or contractor. So that's a real practical one. Another one is... um, just put all your insurance policies in a fireproof and waterproof safer cabinet. It sounds a bit old school, but if your small business goes through a flood or a fire or whatever, uh, you really will be happy that you've safely stored all your current insurance policies. Another one is formalizing arrangements for backup power. If you can, you know, standby commercial generator, a small one, not that expensive in the overall scheme of things uh, would be very advisable. Electrical surge protection, that's another one. Make sure uh, your computer equipment is protected uh, because power surges can occur during lightning storms or whatever, or even randomly with the power grid. And there's sometimes no insurance coverage available if you haven't protected your equipment properly another one is a basic business continuity plan and that's nothing more than a document that gives basic but valuable information it contains things like your insurance policy numbers the location of your critical records an emergency contact list the staff contact numbers where your critical backup computer records are kept and that plan is great in the event of an emergency you have your staff maybe some managers take that home and they can pull that out and then they can sort of access it and and act on it and so very advisable uh, another one is um Workplace inspections, those are one of the primary functions of the of the Occupational Health and Safety Committee, and it's sometimes seen as a bit of a silly exercise when they do their inspections. But if you, as the entrepreneur, just walk through the premises and take note of things like trip and fall hazards or poor storage of flammable liquids or whatever, uh, you can pick up on those and you can correct those workplace hazards. I've mentioned this a couple times already, relying on your insurance broker, your insurance vi- advisor, uh, they can help you in terms of contract that you might have to enter into and, you know, avoiding things like uh, insurance and indemnity that can really hamstring your business if you agree to them unknowingly. Another one is called thermographic scans or thermographic imaging of your computer or your electrical equipment, rather. Um, Electrical fires are one of the top causes of fires in Canada. So uh, a common way to identify if you're going to have a fire in your electrical panel, especially say you're in a building that's over 30 years of age, is to do or have an electrical contractor that's licensed in train do what's called a thermographic scan of your electrical. And what that does is it gives you any sort of uh, deficiencies that your panel might have. And those are a precursor or early warning for a fire if you don't address them. So uh, that's you know a few t- practical tips. Matt, do you know what the th- single most hazardous thing almost all of us do every day is?
0: I don't, and I have a feeling I'm about to find out.
1: Is jump into our cars. So you know, to a small business owner, I would say Know your fleet risks, right? Mm-hmm. You can take on significant liability as a small business owner through your own cars and the cars you provide to your staff. So make sure that you have your ducks in a row as it relates to you know, the more motor vehicle abstracts of your staff members. Do they provide any training to their staff for defensive driving or skid school or anything like that? Uh, my company, Sovereign, has a fleet specialist that could n- easily do an entire podcast for you in future on right. the subject if you're interested. And, and as I said already, acquire the right types of insurance. I'm going to say that as an insurance guy. But that shouldn't be forgotten or minimized. It's a central part of risk management. And I outlined already what the key types of insurance you should get are. My final tip is don't take your vacation in August because bad things seem to happen during the month of August. <laughs> 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 At least for me, they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, really, apparently it's peak flood season, uh, all, all around Southern Ontario there. Right. <laughs>
1: Well, it, true enough. Our, 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 you know, our climate is changing dramatically. And, you know, I mentioned, the, I used the phrase one in a hundred, one in 50 year storms. We mm. seem to be getting more and more of those in a more frequent well, basis. Well,
0: it's just, uh, I mean, again, what insurance people do best is worry about things. And, uh, <laughs> <Sure>. it, <laughs>
1: exactly. We we're paid to be paranoid as, the, as one boss once told me and, uh, yeah. in a good way. So you can try to for, you know, forestall and prevent these things from, from crippling your small business.
0: Yeah. And again, you've just shared a very extensive list of not only experiences, but a very extensive list of. Uh, practices to put in place to make sure that none of our listeners live through those same experiences and so that they're not stuffing bits of paper down there storm drains either. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Julian, I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your expertise, and uh, all these valuable tips about about, uh, protecting small business in Canada. If our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, if they wanted to... um, you know, kind of connect further and uh, and pick your brain on some kind of advice for their small business. How would they go about doing that?
1: Uh, best thing to do is just drop me an email. It's my first name Julian, dot my last name which is Valeri. V is in Victor. A L E R I at Sovgen. S O V G E N dot com. So Julian dot at S O V G E N dot com, and I'd be happy to respond to any inquiries that are made
0: fantastic julian again thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and uh (laughs) keep getting paid to be paranoid (laughs) thanks so much man it's been a pleasure all right take care thanks take care Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. We're thrilled to have Julian Valeri, Manager of Risk Solutions at Sovereign Insurance, on the show today. When he's not working to protect businesses across Canada, Julian is the past president of the Ontario Risk and Insurance Management Society, as well as the lead instructor for the Certificate in Risk Management Program at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. He's also currently a board member for the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, Southern Ontario chapter. Welcome to the show today, Julian.